I'm going to be reading for Elijah um, before he comes up here to preach. I was joking with Elijah earlier. This is called National Youth Pastor Preaches Sunday. Um, it's because usually it's the week before uh, New Year's that pastors are on the road and stuff like that, and they get their youth pastors to preach. It's a Sunday they don't want to preach. No, I'm joking with you. Uh, we, uh, I'm so thankful for, before I read the scripture, I want to thank, tell y'all that I'm so grateful and thankful for uh, Elijah and Anna. And uh, no, they're not leaving. I know usually when I say something, somebody's leaving. Uh, but so grateful for them and just seeing, y'all know, we've seen Elijah over the past year and a half grow up, you know, and uh, <laughs> I don't know he's grown up yet, but you know, like just going from a young kid coming into the seminary, now he uh, he's a married man. And so, uh, and many things ahead. So we're excited for what God's gonna do in and through him. I think we're looking forward to, uh, maybe ordaining him this year. And so uh, we'll be looking forward to that in the coming months. And uh, thank you all for being here today. Pretty good turnout for it being uh, the weekend before uh, New Year. Uh, we only have this part of the area that's been raptured, you know, but uh, I'm sure they'll be back. And uh, so let's, uh, I'm not going to steal any more of your thunder, Elijah. Let's read uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It says, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, talking about Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two pigeons. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God, this is the song he sings, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation for the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. Verse 33, his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will, that will be opposed and a sword will pierce his own soul. And the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was a prophetess named Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God day and night with fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God to speak about him to, to, all, who, to, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. 
All right, so how, you might ask me how we are going to relate this story to hope, especially being how it started out with the circumcision of Jesus. How are we going to connect those two together? Well, just give me a chance. I'll do my best shot to do that. So first and foremost, I want to kind of explain the importance of circumcision and what it was. It was uh, circumcision was the seal of the covenant of Abraham originally. So this dates all the way back to Abraham in the Old Testament. This has been a Jewish tradition for that long. And so that being how this was tradition, not just tradition, but law, we see Jesus do, uh, fulfill this law. This was, a, this was the practice of every Jewish male that wanted to practice the faith. And it was on the parents to fulfill this law on the eighth day after they were born. So we see this story unfold of what circumcision was and how they were fulfilling the law even from the Old Testament. So we're going to look at Ephesians 2, verse 11 real quick to kind of explain the importance of this. So, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised, but, those who, but the, by those called the circumcised, sorry, which is done in the flesh by human hands. Not, note that they did not just refer to themselves as Jews and Gentiles. But they went as far to say the circumcised and the uncircumcised because this was a reflection of the dedication they had toward God. This was a covenant that they must have fulfilled to be a full, dedicated Jew at the time. So why is this important to Jesus? Because we need to see his dedication from moment one to fulfill the law that was presented even to Abraham back then in the Old Testament. And there's a cool little note I saw I was reading up, studying up for this sermon. Donald Gray Barnhouse once said, his circumcision was even the first suffering he gave for us. So we even see this cool little connection between circumcision and what it meant for us and that he even suffered for us even as a baby. So that is a really neat thing that Donald said. And let's look in verse 22. It talks about their purification days. This dates all the way back to Leviticus 12. Leviticus 12 verses 1 and 2 says that when a woman gives birth to a male, she is unclean for seven days. So during the seven-day span, she was to not be around the clean or were to not make others unclean because in Leviticus, we see a lot about the uh, cleansing and purification of those who were considered unclean. So this was a very serious thing that they took because they didn't have the Messiah who cleansed all of their sins. They had to follow the law in Le from Leviticus to say, okay, I am clean, I am justified, I am following what God has commanded of me. Leviticus 12 also says that she must continue for 33 days after the male is circumcised on the eighth day of being purified. And we're going to look at what that means a little later. I'm going to look in Leviticus 12. I'm going to turn back there so I can read it fully. Leviticus 12, starting in verse 6, going through verse 8. I think I put it back there on the slide, so Colin, you can pull that up for me. Starting in verse 6, it says, As when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law of her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other, and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Here we see again just the importance of what it means to be clean 
in the Old Testament because if one was deemed unclean, they, would be, they were to be removed from the population as a whole. And that's why if you've ever tried to read Leviticus, it kind of gets a little, oh, it, it, we're reading Leviticus, we see all these customs, but it becomes important, especially when you look at the story of Jesus and how things unfolded because these things were necessary to become pure, to become clean so we can have a Messiah that was clean from the start. Because we need to see Mary and Joseph fulfill that for Jesus because as a baby, he was 100% man. He couldn't just get up and do it himself. We see from the beginning the task that was laid on Mary and Joseph to care for the Messiah as he grows up, to care for his purification in her own. So they brought two birds before God. We see that in here. They don't mention a lamb. And I find this really Really interesting when Warren Wearsby makes the connection that they brought two, bird, two birds saying that they weren't really wealthy enough to bring the lamb. That's what that signifies. But little did they know, they brought the lamb of God before the priest as an atonement for their future sins. And that was a really, really neat connection that Warren Wearsby made. The law is a very important aspect of Jesus. Because to, for Jesus to be the Messiah, he needed to fulfill the law. And that's something that we need to see go perfectly, or he cannot perfectly fulfill the law. So what does that mean for us? Why is it so important to us, us seeing Jesus fulfill the law perfectly, even from the eighth day of his life? We see that Jesus, from the first moment, was the perfect fulfillment and sacrifice for us of the law and the wrath of God from the Levitical law. So what does this have to do with Jesus being our hope? I know I kind of went on a rant about what this means in Leviticus and how that connects, but it's important for us to see what this means for us. And it says, and I say, since we see he followed the law, even from the very beginning, we find hope that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Because even if this would have messed up from the very beginning, we start to get a little skeptical. We start to see that, yeah, this probably isn't what it was supposed to be. This probably isn't the Messiah because he didn't even go through the purification. They didn't even go through the circumcision. So this is why this is so important to the story. I know this is kind of a weird little thing that they put in the Bible, but it's so necessary that we go over it because we need to see that Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of the law. So we, for my first point, it says we find hope in the fulfillment of the law. And since the law has been fulfilled, we are no longer held to the standard of Levitical law because God was satisfied in the fulfillment of the law through Jesus. Praise God, right? So I know if we read Leviticus now and we have to read it as our law, we are kind of up creek without a paddle right now. Little redneck saying for you, Dean. You're welcome. So that's why it's so important for us to know. I'm going to read verses 25 through 26 again to reiterate. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. What a promise to be made for people who have been waiting for 4,005, that's a really rough estimate, years. 4,000 years later, they, he is promised by the Spirit himself that you will not die until you see our Messiah come on earth. So he has so much hope in his life because he, from the Spirit of God himself, he says, you will see the Messiah. And in tw verse 25, 
we see the term consolation of Israel. Well, what does that mean? According to some theologians, that means the messianic hope of Israel. The consolation of Israel is the messianic hope of Israel, the need for the Messiah to come and save them. So basically, say it again, he's waiting for the prophesied Messiah because he knows that he will see him. We just got through with Christmas. Great time of year for families and whatnot. And I remember I, I was dwelling on this as I was making the sermon. I was like, oh, the week of Christmas goes the longest of any other week out of all the year because we are waiting to see all what presents we get. We're waiting to see family. We're waiting to see whatever we can. But Simeon had the greatest gift awaiting for him at some point in his long years of life that we're going to see the Messiah. What a hope that he had in his life that we can only imagine. Because if we can connect that even to Christmas Day, that can't even compare to a fraction of the hope he was promised. So that is something that I like to cling to when I look at the story of Simeon, that he has hope in the promised Messiah. So I'm going to read verses 29 through 32 now to reiterate it. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So we look at the story unfold. We see that Mary and Joseph are fulfilling the law and bringing Jesus to the priest so that they can make atonement for sin and purification. And there we see Simeon. We meet Simeon. And we see the song he sings, and we're going to see why. It's because he sees the Messiah that is promised. The Spirit comes upon him. That is your Messiah, and he can't help but rejoice in the fact that Jesus himself is before him. The Messiah is before him. What he's been waiting on forever, I bet it felt like forever, is before him, and there he is, the Messiah. So what does he respond with? He says, Lord now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Saying after all of my life, that since you've promised me, I see your Messiah. I see that you are, that you have sent him, and I have nothing else to live for but the Messiah himself. So you can let me depart in peace today. Pretty much the way Dean put it to me the first time I said, well, I've seen the Savior, now I can die. That's basically what he just said. And I cannot say I blame him because what else are we really hoping for more than the Messiah that you were promised to see? And for us now, we can relate to that. Now, I'm not saying that this is written in a perfect reflection, but we're seeing that we have hope in our Messiah. In the same way that Simeon was waiting, he was hoping for the Messiah we have the Messiah today, and we have our own hope in him because we see the whole story unfold. All he got to see was the very beginning. He got to see Jesus in the flesh as a baby. Then he tells Mary and Joseph all these things that he's going to be this, he's going to be that, he's going to be the salvation. And then for Mary and Joseph, I can I can see how they found hope in that as well. That, okay, this is just farther affirming that I 
have given birth to the Messiah and that he is in our hands, that we are doing the right thing going through this purification process and circumcision and purification because he's even using other people to affirm this Messiah and what he means for the world. He's using others to affirm to Mary and Joseph that, hey, he's it. He is what we have had hope in for the past 4,000-ish years. What greater joy could even a parent here than your kid did a good job, but your kid is the Messiah. He's what we have been hoping for. What greater joy could they have had? So my second point is there is hope in the Messiah. And I said we had hope in the Messiah as well. Well, how do we have hope in the Messiah today? Well, I think it all starts at the beginning of creation, that it was a perfect creation. God made a perfect world inside and out. But us as humans, us as uh, his creation, chose to depart from that perfect creation because of sin. We chose sin, and we chose to leave that perfect creation. And then we enter this world into a state of brokenness. This world, it, whether you're saved, you're a Christian, you're a Muslim, you're anything, we can all agree this world is broken in many ways. So where does our hope come from in that? Many people use this brokenness, and they try to get out of it. They try to use alcohol. They use addiction. They use crime. They use anything they can to try to seek out this brokenness that they feel on the inside because we are broken due to the fall of man, and I'm going to do anything I can to get out. Well, I know I'm 21 years old. I've not been on this earth very long, but I can assure you that there's nothing on this earth that you can use to get out of this brokenness. Nothing of this world you can use to get out of brokenness. But that's why the gospel is so important. Even from day one, we see them rejoicing because they know that this Messiah is going to offer our way out. Because it's because of Jesus that we can exit out of brokenness and into new life that will eventually get us back to the perfect creation that was intended for this world. And we get to dwell again with the Father. What greater hope do we have than Jesus bringing us back? So that's why these songs of Advent are so important. We see this whole story unfold through praises, through song that we see us eventually get back. Well, at least the right pathway is created for us to get back. So we see the story of Jesus unfold. That is our hope in the Messiah. So then we see Anna. She's described in the scripture as a prophetess. Anna was married for seven years. She lived with her husband for seven years. Then she was widowed. Then we look in the scripture and we see after that what happened. Even though she was widowed, She's a prophetess. She is able to have a gift from God to see what others can't. So the Spirit, I fully believe, was with her to decide for 84 years to serve in the temple, praising him throughout the whole 84 years in the temple. 
And then what do we see after 84 years? God's provision come perfectly into the story with Anna. Because as a prophetess, she is going to know what she sees when she sees it when it comes to the Messiah. Okay? So whenever she sees Jesus, God's timing was perfect. He, she she could have left, but she stayed with the faith for 84 years. And look what happens. She sees the Messiah in the flesh. She has hope in herself because we even see her rejoice. And then what does it say that she does? Instantly when she sees it after praising, she goes and tells all who are awaiting the Messiah that he has come. He's here. Why don't we have that urgency? I know we haven't seen him in the flesh, but we have seen his life from beginning to end and what it meant for us. Why do we not have that same urgency to give our lives to him? Because Anna didn't even know the Messiah yet, but for 84 years, she remained faithful to God in hopes that he will come. And what do we see happen? He came. I preach to my youth very often the idea of a simple term we hear in church a lot called faith. I make sure to reiterate this point over and over and over again to where I'm sure Colton's about ready to slap me in the face because he's tired of hearing the same thing. But I believe it's that important. Faith is that important because I don't believe faith is just a belief. I believe faith starts with belief, but I believe that faith produces good works and action. Now, you would not hear me say that faith is good works, but good faith produces good works. So I don't want y'all to be misconstrued. You are not saved by your good works, but you do good works because you are saved by faith. And that's exactly what we see demonstrated to us, even through Anna, even though her story was about this big in my Bible. About that big. Okay? But she demonstrates perfect faith. Was she a perfect person? No. But her faith remained strong for 84 years to give us a guideline, an example to live by, that even when we feel hopeless and broken and beaten down, we are to remain faithful in Christ, even when he was to come. He hasn't even came on this earth yet for those 84 years, but whenever she finally met him after his eighth day of birth, or in that 33-day slot, her faith was finally rewarded. Her faith for those 84 years finally came to pass that this is what I've been working for. And that she was so, so excited and rejoiceful in Christ that she couldn't help but go tell all of those who are awaiting that he is here, he is real, he is our Messiah and the one that will eventually lay down his life to save us. He is the one who will be the salvation of many hearts. It didn't stop there. Many hearts will come to salvation through him. There's also a little warning in there that kind of slips in there at the downfall of others. That's Elijah Burns' paraphrase. That wasn't word for word. But we see that even in the beginning of his life, it is understood that some will be saved through his name, and some won't. And that is where I find the 
urgency, even the beginning of Jesus' life and his mission on earth, we see unfold in the rest of Scripture, is that all may come to the knowledge of truth and to be saved through his name, that they may spend eternity with the Father who is in heaven. Because without Jesus, we have no hope. Without Jesus, we are hopeless. And that's why my third point I find very important. Jesus offers hope to the hopeless. Even in the very beginning of his life. When his eyes were open, whenever he was just making baby noises, whenever he was just being towed around by his parents, he was offering hope even then. We move on in Scripture, starting in verse 39, says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they were turned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. When we look at Simeon, he was saying, This is our Messiah. Here's what's going to happen in his life. He will be our Messiah. He is our Messiah. And what do we see unfold even starting in verse 40? He grew up being filled with wisdom, being filled with strength, becoming exactly what was spoken on his life from the very beginning. Even before he was born, there was prophecy in the Old Testament of what Jesus will do in his life. And we see in verse 40 that story unfolding. And that's why I really wanted to land home in verse 40 on this whole song of Advent, we see that hope unfolding into the beginnings of his life and his ministry. From the very beginning of our song of Advent, we see Jesus coming and coming and coming and coming, and he's here. And he is to offer hope for all of those who will accept his mission and his uh, salvation. Because I got news for you, there is nothing else on this earth or in this Bible that will say, well, sorry, they will say, but nothing else in this Bible or on this earth today will offer you that same salvation that Jesus has and is and will. Because it is only through Jesus' name and life, his perfect life that we see, that is where our salvation comes. That's why even for people 2,000 years later can have hope in that same Christ. And I'm here to submit to you that that has not stopped today. And that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, may it burden your heart down to the very core to do so. Sounds a little rash, I know. But it is that important. I pray that all of us get broken down to the point where we know that we need that hope in Jesus. Because Lord knows that I have had to go through that about five times over before I finally said, Jesus, here I am. Use me. You can ask this man sitting right there. He knew me before anybody else here did, right? He's from Mississippi where I was growing up, my second stage of life. Went through a lot, but by my own hand because I didn't lean on Jesus like I should have. So that's why I'm praying 
that anyone in here who has not been saved or had a salvation experience, that they surrender their full lives and everything that they do to this Jesus who offers this hope. Because I'm not here to say that your life's going to be perfect. I'm not here to say that you'll never sin again. I'm not here to say that you're going to get health, wealth, prosperity. That's not me. But I am here to say that you will always have the Word, the Creator, the Messiah, the Spirit, power everything in your corner. And what else will you need? There is nothing else that can assure you this same hope. Like I've said before, many have tried to get out of this brokenness other ways. And you can ask anybody who has come to Christ even later on in their life how, how that went for them. A good friend, Kevin, he's told me his story. It's a beautiful one. There are many things that we try to do to stop that brokenness. Ain't that right? Right. But in the end, we must fall on our face before an almighty God and say, here I am. Use me how you will so that I may live obediently to your truth and your message in my life. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for this day that we can come and get in your word and see that even from the beginning of your life that you are the perfect savior for us. One that we can find hope in. One that we can be saved in and a name that can save us unlike any other name. Because Jesus, you are perfect, even from the first day of your life. And may we remember that and respect that and be obedient in that so that we may have hope and salvation through your name. Because Lord, we do everything we can to escape brokenness on our own, but your word says that you are the way and the truth and the life.